This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Asian Torah here in the old city of Jerusalem. Practical spirituality, and we're overlooking the Temple Mount. This is day seven of Hanukkah, and we got a room full of people. You know, you're all so amazing looking. Should we give a wave because it's such a packed house today? What do you guys say? Let's give a wave. Okay, don't worry. The only people who are watching this are anyway on the internet. Everyone wave. Hi. Say happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Okay, put that back over there. And then the only thing I didn't do was put my phone on. Okay. Yeah, so uh, this is the seventh candle. Tonight's the eighth candle, and it's a very special night, the culmination of the whole holiday and and a uh, very special time for prayers to be answered on the eighth candle. So everyone get your prayer, get your, get your jaws loosened up for some serious prayer. Um, good time to get to the Kotel, which is literally right out the window here. Um, so it's a, it's a big day coming. And, uh, and our particular synagogue celebrates the eighth candle the night after Hanukkah. So what we do is we, we wash for bre- a bread meal. You know how third meal goes into Saturday night? So we wash at the end of Hanukkah to bring Hanukkah into the rest of the night, tomorrow night. And, uh, and we all go to shul, and there we drink a hot punch that they call pamsh, with an M, pamsh. And it has, it's a hot, spicy punch that has 96% alcohol uh, inside it and and with a live band and about 800 chassidim and the, the really really drunk chassidim and it's always mesmerizing what takes place in there you know to have this many men that drunk in you know kind of a close situation and it's, uh, you know, there's, there's always funny stuff to watch in there. I mean, I remember one chassid decided he was going to have, he was going <laughs> to hug the rabbi. And um, can I ask this Hasidic man to just sit up here with these men over here and we'll give, we'll open up some seats over there for the ladies. Um, if you don't mind peeling off a chair or two back there, just to make it. Also, this lady in green, do you mind coming up a little to a couple, come up a row or two? Let's fill in those, that area. That was very nice here. I remember one chassid decided he wanted to hug the rabbi. And uh, he was like walking up the table to hug the rabbi. Just then they were serving a tchina. And there was a tr- giant tray with like eight bowls of tahina on it. And uh, anyway, he, he slipped and fell face first <laughs> into the tahina. And so his face was no longer, you couldn't even make it out at all. Big beard, just white now with tahina. And his whole body's covered in tahina. And he continued on his way to the rabbi <laughs> to give the rabbi a hug at the end of the table. Anyway, you always see something crazy happening, and and there, and there's also the rabbi is guarded. You know, he has guards to make sure no one tries to, you know, have too big a peace process in the middle of their inebriation. And so you you get to see some pretty cool takedowns. 
you know, so it, it's, it's fun watching them get violent with each other. Okay, um, let's get to work. You know, there's a there's a direct correlation with people who've been through hell and and people who have um, have a lot to share and contribute in the world. You know, all of us want our lives to go smoothly, obviously, and and that is the blessing that your life should go smoothly. You can say Amen. Amen. But you'll notice that the people that you you find impressive are the people who've been through the most. Um, One of the most successful women in the world, uh, I think, uh, I don't think she was even 14 years old by the time she had her, her second child due to rape. And she became Oprah Winfrey, who was uh, probably the most uh, most um, influential women in the world today, and has allowed none of her background to get in the way, but quite the opposite. It's made her into someone great. And we see it happen over and over again, that people people who go through a lot tend to be you know, really making the making the biggest difference in the world. You mind putting the fan on low, please? It's uh, right above your head, bottom. Uh, it's upper panel, bottom right button. It's a little hidden button, the bottom right. Yeah, your finger's almost on it. You're so close. You're like an inch from it. Yeah, yeah. There's a little tiny button there. Thank you. You touched it. Did you press the button? You, you also have to press it. You can't just, like, point at it. Thank you. Thank you very much. You got it. You did great. Thank you. You know, it's a really tiny button. You, no one would even know it's there. So there's a lot of stories of people who make a big difference who've been through hell. And... And then there's always the, the ex- extremely unimpressive people who were born with a silver spoon in their mouth, people who were bubble-wrapped from birth. People who were bubble-wrapped from birth who never went through anything because their parents were so busy protecting them that they're, um, they're, they're generally ineffectual. They're ineffectual. They often are depressed people. They suffer with mental illness. Many of them, obviously not all of them, and and they're um, <coughs> they they, they, they they it seems to be there's a correlation between um, protecting children and making sure everything goes well for them, and uh, and them winding up not really making a big difference in their lives later to the point of depression where because if my life doesn't make a difference, so so what difference does life make and hence leading to depression. And so, so, that's, uh, so there's this correlation with, with difficulty and greatness and, 
and then uh, comfort and a lack of greatness. And yet all of us strive to, to kind of make our lives as comfortable as possible. We're all, we're all troubleshooting as best as we can to make sure our lives go smoothly. Most of us have been relegated to God's personal growth seminar. You guys heard of God's personal growth seminar? It's free, actually. <laughs> it's the cheapest one, but it's often the roughest. <laughs> it's mandatory. It's mandatory. Um, it can get really rough. <laughs> I prefer the types of people who put themselves in personal growth seminars and you know, actually pay the money and like put their lives on, on the line because it's just you don't want to mess around with God's personal growth seminar. You know, he can have you like perfectly married to like your ultimate challenge. <laughs> Better to do your own personal growth work and marry someone who's, you know, you're pushing each other forward in, you know, powerful ways, making a difference together, rather than just surviving your own marriage has become your life's work. You, know, you don't want to do that. You can. I mean, many do. It's not a big deal. God, God, God's going to put you through the ringer if you're not going to put yourself through the ringer. But those of us who hide from difficulty, pain, uh, discomfort, those of us who hide from that stuff tend to be, tend to be uh, unhappy. Um, they tend to be uh, so vigilant to avoid any kind of discomfort that, they, that all that's left of them in character is everything they've avoided. A couple seats over here. All that's left of them in character is is just what's you know what everything they've avoided is so they're they're it's just the leftovers of all the stuff they were careful not to do and not to get involved in. You know what I mean by that? I mean if you live your whole life where there's everything's kind of dangerous and fear and breeds fear, so you don't go in all those places. So who are you in the end? You're just the leftovers of what's left of someone who never took a risk. And there's not a lot left there. And that's the, the analogy I always give is because uh, I just watch my daughters sometimes icing cakes with piping bags. And they, they have these different shapes they use. And, and we think, wow, what a lovely shape on the cake. But really, that's all that's left. The, it cut away. It, the, the shape on the, of the, the icing bag, the end of it was, was cutting away everything. So what you see on the cake is all that's left. Now you can make yourself look pretty and and appealing, or somehow uh, you know charming, or or wanted in some way or another. But uh, you know, but it's cosmetic. If you spend your life avoiding danger and avoiding risk and fear and all the stuff that makes people great. Now, obviously, I'm preaching to the choir here because. Because if you if you somehow made a tour, you're obviously interested in some level of risk. <laughs> you know, you're, you're obviously pretty big people in here, but but who knows who's watching this live, who's living, you know, who maybe even lives in cyberspace. You know, there's people who just live in their in their technology. There's a seat left right there. Right there. I think I should have been a Mater D. 
spend my whole life seating people because I have a perfect view of what's left. And uh, we're down to basic, basically nothing. Are you on two chairs there? Uh, three? Oh, excellent. So, ladies, if I give you the word, all four of you in the row should all come up two seats. And then we'll add two more in the row because that's about all the room we got. Not yet, though. Not yet. No. We'll see. So Abraham had it rough. He took off on his own, left everything behind. He was also persecuted. King Nimrod tried to kill him. I think more than once he was incarcerated at various times. And Isaac had some some rough times too, not to mention getting bound to an altar by his father. You know, that's never fun. And, uh, but he, but he also goes blind at the end of his life. And, and, um, but Isaac's life's more shrouded in mystery, but Jacob's life and Jacob's life's just miserable from the, from the get-go. There's just nothing good happening to him. Nothing. In fact, when he meets Pharaoh at the end of his life, he's, he's like, yeah, it was lame. Uh, My life's been really hard. It's been really rough. It's a little shocking to hear one of our forefathers speak that way about his life. But he's honest. You know, you look at his life, it was just miserable. <coughs> married to this murderous brother. And um, he finally finds true love and gets she gets swapped out for someone else, for his sister. <coughs> gets, you know, tricked around all those years and then finally with his true love has a child who gets kidnapped by his sons and sold into slavery and for all he knows he's dead you know what a life what a life he had and but he's these are our luminaries these are these are the greats that created our people Moses had it rough Aaron, I don't know how rough we have Aaron's life because we don't know so much about him. The only thing we know, like that, was particularly rough for Aaron Hakoin was was the uh, the loss of his sons. He buried two sons, and then uh, and then we have we have Joseph, and Joseph's life was totally rough. And what is it about crushed people that shine so beautifully? What is it about crushed people that, that causes us to shine, causes people to shine? By the way, does every crushed person shine? No. <laughs> so that's another question we're going to answer is what, what distinguishes crushed people who shine versus crushed people who are just simply crushed? Uh, what's the difference between them? Because we all know the people who shine the most are the people who are the most crushed. But we all have met plenty of crushed people who are just simply crushed. 
What is some what metamorphosis does someone because we all think building up somebody means you know you give them a lot of support and a lot of uh, encouragement and you know you you be there for them you take good care of them and they eventually you know become somebody and, but but the but the crushed ones are who don't have any of that tend to become the most powerful people. But then there's all these crushed people that that are just simply crushed and and never became much at all and never shined any light and find themselves dependent on society and a, a heavy burden on on the world. And when you see a homeless person who's completely reliant on society, they, they you don't get a sense of light there. You, but you do get a sense of crushed. The oil that we've been lighting on Hanukkah comes from crushed olives. Every night I light, I light crushed olives. Because when you crush olives, you get light. When you crush grapes, you get wine. When you crush garbanzo beans, you get hummus. <laughs> Hi, there's a seat on its way, too. Ladies, slide up. Two rows. Come all the way up. Oh, keep going. It's a whole... We got it all prepped. This is all, like, totally pre, pre-rehearsed. <laughs> That's about as smooth as you could get it. This whole holiday, this whole holiday is spent dealing with, dealing with, you know, crushed olives. And from that crushed olives, not only do you get something special, but you can actually light it. And it's fuel, and it lights up the world, it lights up a room, it lights up darkness. There's something about, about oil that it's not just any substance, it, it actually, it creates light, it creates heat, it creates warmth. It's, it's fuel. It's power. But you can't get to the power until you crush it. You can't light an oil on, you can't light an olive on fire. Olives don't burn, they're not flammable. They need to be crushed first. And once you, once you crush that that olive, so you get the oil from it, that, that's something you can light. What does a crushed person have to go through to get to the light? What do we, what, what do we got to go through to get to the light? So I would like to offer various ways from crush to light for all of us to think about and maybe grab onto. There's a person who uh, lives in the old city who uh, spends his whole life bringing light to people and making people happy. And he, he was a 
he was a person who had hit rock bottom and uh, he was kind of he had failed so many times in fact he even failed trying to kill himself several times and uh, so he was just a total failure I mean <laughs> couldn't even kill himself right and but subsequently became a, a great contributor in the old city and I asked him once why are you so beautiful why are you such an amazing guy like you, you do so much for people I mean he's, he's just the most selfless person and so he said that when his life became not worth living anymore he decided he would live for others <coughs> so, so that, was, that was one thing that he got so he, he had been completely crushed in his life and uh, but he eventually took on to live for others and there's something very powerful about that something very powerful now obviously I don't want any of you to get to a point where you don't have a life like that's not good and he meaning he went through and this guy's been through a lot and and he he did get to a point where he had no life and even tried to take it but didn't work and so he said well I guess God has me here for a reason so he's he's given life to others and that's how he lives his life <coughs> He, he just gives and gives and gives and gives. And there, there's no end to his giving because he never loses strength because he, 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 there's no li- he has no life of his own. Now, um, so, so that's one of them. But, but let's go, that's rock bottom. That means, meaning when there's no way further down, it's the only way is up. And the way he found up was, was to be there for others. What's, an, what's another way? You know what, let's, what do you guys say? How do you go from crushed to light instead of just crushed? Yeah. Which is probably back to the situation when I was a little girl and lost my girl and I decided to not just make her on others but live on his behalf. So having a life for me but living his life as well but the life that's more there. Huh, that's very interesting. I don't know how to write that because that's very unique to you, but having lost your brother as you live for him as well. I live his life. Live his life. You also live your life. Yeah. You're living your life and his life. That's very, that's creative. Yes? Is that, I understand that giving is an important thing, but is that like a catalyst for emotional health? Mm-hmm. No, no, this, this would be terrible for emotional health. He doesn't have any, he doesn't have a life. He literally has no life. Mm-hmm. His life is just how can he help in every situation? But if you tried that, that'd be really bad. And for him, like, this is for him, it's, it's using his utmost potential just by giving to others and not... Yeah, it works well for him. Yeah, this is just for the rock bottom guy. Mm-hmm. Yes? Realizing everything that happens is for the good, and um, if God's giving him this thing, it must be to help other people go through the same situation. Okay, excellent. So, so the other thing is, uh, is that you have the know-how. So you now have a know-how to, to help other people. But the, it's not exactly what I'm looking for because, because all those homeless people have know-how too. But they're not, that doesn't seem to make a difference. Meaning they've been through every kind of hell, but they haven't gotten up. Okay, yeah? Um, I believe that it's realizing your potential and figuring out how it is 
Okay, that's that's wonderful. But the crushed people generally don't. We we're going from crushed to light. Build. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm I'm still I, I'm looking for something a little more practical. Yeah. Right. Our question is just how. Yeah. Okay. Very nice. There's no atheism in Toxel. So once you're crushed, you really, it's unbelievable what happens that you cleave onto Hashem and you just pray totally differently than you did before. Uh, a little more what I was planning on going towards. Yeah, Sammy? Resilience, possibly. These people have lost resilience. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Find the lessons and the advantages that you can derive from the experiences and also get a better sense of what is right and what isn't right for you. Okay, very good, very good, yeah. Maybe you just get a sense of humility and you just finally realize you're not in control of anything, <coughs> so you might as well just go with it. Excellent, we're going to be going there too. Just very good. Prayer. What? Prayer. Prayer, <laughs> just prayer. Just, just prayer. prayer, yeah. You, know, you got something? Yeah. Love from others. Okay, ho- ho- hoping that you're getting some <laughs> love from others, yeah. That'd be good. Okay. Oh, Someone just mentioned a cat. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, you know what, like caring for others, like if, if, you know, being alone, sometimes people, so a lot of people out there, there's a story about, like, with Bob. You heard about Bob? He literally, there's a cat turned up at his house one day, and he was a um, real heroine, and he was trying to come heroin, and he was trying to commit suicide. And this random cat just literally was beaten up, and he, she found purpose by looking after this cat. I know it's similar to like looking after people, but if you don't have any friends or people, right. animals normally also are another way of Yeah, animals are really good. Yeah, they are very healing. Yeah. Okay, listen up. Listen up. Inside of every one of you, inside of you, 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 all you people, inside of all of you is a nuclear power plant. If I could put jumper cables up to your earlobes, we could power all of Jerusalem with you. We literally power the city with you. You're so incredibly powerful. But it's very hard to get to your power. I meet people who are like, I mean, they have the background that should have made them powerful, like everything went pretty well for them, but they find themselves quite powerless. But yet every single person is a nuclear power plant. And what is that power inside of you? What, how do you get to it? And what is that power? And the answer is the power is the power of the soul. The power of the soul is your power. But there's a problem. Is that every person gets hijacked. Their soul gets hijacked. Each person in this room's soul has been hijacked. And it's been hijacked by your persona. You realize that who you think you are is an extremely limited version of who you are. And even those in this room whose version of who they are is quite expansive, it's probably actually quite contractive, but they've they've got a very contractive persona and they've tried to expand out a vision of themselves that somehow they can convince the world of who they are, when in fact that's just a fabricated personality over a very contracted sense of self. You see, 
Human beings don't have a sense of self. Why do you think we're all so uncomfortable when we walk into receptions? It's like, it shouldn't be that big a deal to walk into a wedding reception. I mean, you, you were invited. <laughs> like, I mean, sh shouldn't the invitation be enough to let us know we're wanted here? But nevertheless, just to walk into that reception is, is scary and painful every time. Most women won't even go alone. And, and it doesn't help when we have separate entrances for men and women, you know, because going with your husband doesn't necessarily do the job because you're already not walking in together. And so we've all had our souls hijacked by a little voice inside the head that is kind of telling you who you are. Because the scariest thing that could ever happen to you would be to be nobody especially after years and years of trying to let the world know that you're somebody like i'm not nobody look look at me i'm somebody and in fact that's just a cry for help in the fear of being nobody our greatest fear is to be no one and we all suffered terribly for being no one we all every single one of us went through hell once in our lives for being nobody and we said we're never trying that again do you know how old you were when you first realized the terror of being nobody? Four. You were probably about four years old. And you were still, still, you still had some of the wind in your, you know, in your sails from toddlerhood where you're nobody and it doesn't seem to matter. And have you ever met a two-year-old that is somebody? Yep. And the answer is every two-year-old is the most unique, amazing person you ever met. But if you ask them who they are, they wouldn't even know what to answer because there's no sense of self then. There's no self-awareness. The brain, the brain hasn't developed enough. But later it does develop enough. And at around three and a half, four, the brain develops enough. That's why we put kippa on three-year-olds' heads and tzitzis and peyot because three is about the level you're self-aware. So now you've got to start thinking about Judaism a little bit. The three-year-old needs to start thinking about Judaism a little bit. And they, but before that, there's no self-awareness. So what's the difference? Like, they don't need anything on their head. They, it doesn't matter because they're in pure, total experience of life. They're in total neshama. And notice how much energy you had when you were two. You, you, just, you didn't even go to sleep at night. You passed out. <laughs> I've had kids. They went to the bathroom, and we can't find them, and... Eventually we go, someone finally undoes the bathroom lock and there they are fast asleep on the toilet, passed out. Because you don't fall asleep when you're two, you, you pass out. You, you, just, you just never stop and stop. Do you realize how great shape we would all be in if we could just mimic a two-year-old for a whole day? I mean, you'd, you'd fall asleep. I mean, we'd have to carry on a stretcher. By noon, you'd be already wiped out. And they're not even going on a lot of food either. You know, they're, they're, they, they, they would gladly skip meals, actually. You have to convince them to eat half the time with airplane moves and all kinds of stuff just to get them to get a little more fuel. They don't seem to need any of that fuel. They don't get hot. They don't get cold. You have to convince them to wear a jacket. Getting completely splashed up in puddles on a freezing winter day is perfectly fine with them. They don't seem to care. Their, their uh, immune systems at a on the highest level. They have no fears, no fear of failure, no fear of rejection. 
they certainly don't care about wet, going into a wedding reception. They, they, they probably enjoy it. You know, and they certainly don't need any alcohol or any other, you know, recreational substances for that matter. I mean, they're just, they're nuclear power plants. And you have that nuclear pl- power plant inside of you. But the problem is, is that it's gotten, it's gotten hijacked by your sense of self. Now, how did a Jew wind up with a sense of self? How did this happen? What has happened to you? How did you wind up with a sense of self? You're Jewish. You realize how spiritual Jewish people are? Like, how could Jewish people lose their sense of self? How could they lose the soul? A Jew? It just shouldn't be possible. We're the most spiritual people on the planet. Well, maybe in potential. Or maybe it's because we've been hanging out in Western civilization. I mean, it is a bit ironic celebrating Hanukkah in, like, like in America. You know, the United States of Asov. And, like, like, you choose to live there, and then you're going to proudly light your Hanukkah candles. But we've 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 all been we're we're all ex, we've been exiled, and I wonder if we could somehow hook up those cables to your ears. Uh, you know the ears. Now that's the soul. Let's say, what if we could like hook up a cable to your nose, and then it shows us on a meter percentages between how much of you is Yaakov and how much of you is Asav. Asav obviously would be all the self image and. You know, immediate gratification, and how do you look, and how are you coming off, and all, all that external stuff. Is my shirt untucked? <laughs> I'm coming from surfing right now, so I didn't even pay attention at all. So the. But how much of you would be Asaph and how much of you would be Yaakov? Meaning if Asaph and Yaakov were sitting in, if they were in heaven and they're, and they're looking over humanity and they're trying to figure out who's Asaph and who's Yaakov's progeny. And, you know, and, you know, when it's a Jewish person who's really living soul, so Yaakov's like, that one's one of mine. And Asaph's like, yeah, that's not mine. And then when someone's being really body and like, self-image and like very externality oriented like real external so Ace was like that one's mine and Jacob's like yeah that one's yours so how many of us have been how many of us would how much of us is someone that Jacob would say that one's mine that's pretty important that we'd be identifiable to Jacob. You see, when you get crushed, what often gets crushed is your self-image, really. That's what's getting crushed. But what good is a self-image? What good is that anyway? 
Now, I understand if someone's like really attached to self-image and then their self-image gets crushed, so then they could remain crushed. But if you just have a self-image and it gets crushed, what comes out is your soul, the neshama. And now you're the nuclear power plant. Now you can make a difference and you know how. Remember, people mention like they know how. Now you know. You know how to navigate. You know how to help people. Because you've been there. You've been crushed. You've lived a real life. And you've, your parents knew good parenting. They knew how to let you take your own risks so you could make your own mistakes, so you could fail once in a while and get hurt. And learn how to get up. So you know how, but you've also... You've also had your, your egos taken enough hits in life. And if you think about the word self-image in general, what does it mean? I mean, what is the word image short for? Imagination. Yeah, it's from the word imagination. So what if you put it together, self-image, what is it? Self-imagination. Or your imaginary self. And I get people once in a while calling me about my seminars and they're like, is it going to help me build my self-image? And I'm like, no, it's going to completely destroy it. (laughs) It's going to get rid of the damn thing. You know, as they say in the Bronx, ain't nobody got time for that. I mean, you, it's very interesting when you think about dating, young people dating, if you really think about it, you're, it's your self-image trying to mate with someone else's self-image to see if your self-image, which is not has probably little to do with you at all, with the true you, it's like getting your your fabricated persona. That's your your own. Uh, I don't know how to say the word chatzitza in English. Uh, yeah. Yes, it's like your fraudulent self-image, imaginary self, and then to get that imaginary self somehow mated with someone else's imaginary self. And like, who wants to be married to someone's imaginary self? Only to find out, as so many people hear, you ever hear that, like, that, that you marry someone and then you find out who you married afterwards? Because you can keep an, when you're single, you can keep an imaginary self up pretty well. But it doesn't work very well in marriage. Like, you, you get revealed. Your stuff starts coming out. Usually, somehow it squirts into the eye of your spouse. We tend to spring a leak when we get married. It's hard to hide your stuff in marriage. It's very easy to have that self-image be intact when you're single, but it gets crushed quickly in marriage. When you light the oil, this Hanukkah, where you're seeing lights tonight, Look into the light and let your, that light of the candle is is analogous to the neshuma. 
it's if you think about that light it, it's always rising off the wick you know you got the wick and then the flames rising off the wick it's pulling upwards well it's it's yearning for something it's it's the light's yearning for to get back to its source <coughs> Now, what if it succeeded? What if the flame actually succeeded in jumping off the wick? What would happen? It would go out. You know, in, when a Jew prays, they're supposed to hold perfectly still during the silent prayer, during the Amidah. No sound, besides perhaps a whisper, and no body movement. But you'll notice that Jews do move when they pray. But you're not supposed to go in moving. It's just as your candles praying, as you're reaching up to your source, but, but to a point of like wanting to literally jump off your wick. Your body is your wick, and your soul is, is your flame. And it's, it's made of light, and light is the source of all matter. Light is, everything's coming from light. Whether you're into physics or whether you're into God, the whole creation is coming from light. And we're lighting this light in the darkest times, in the darkest places, from the crushed olives. And, and that light is the light of the soul. It's the light of the Neshama. It's the light of Yaakov over Asaph, over Westernism, over self-image. Let me just put it like this real quick and make it uh, into a Venn diagram. You've got Europe, which has Europeans have doing and being totally blurred. So they think if you're doing something, you, you are it. You know, like people think they're, someone says, I'm a doctor, I'm an accountant, I'm a lawyer, I'm a, I'm a this, I'm a that. But that's not possible. You can do law. You can do numbers as an accountant. You can do, you can do medicine. But but you can never be that. And what the society says is that Western society says that you you have to do in order to be. And and people actually get caught up in that. And they think if they do and do and do and do, they will suddenly be something. They'll now they'll now be whole or they'll be happy or they'll be satisfied or they'll be completed in some way or, or you know, they'll be loved. I don't know what they're thinking, but, but somehow doing is going to lead to it. This is a very Western way of thinking, that doing leads to being. And this has seeped in a lot to the Jewish world, which is a pretty good, though, because at least if you're doing mitzvahs, it may actually work to some extent. But raise your hand if you were told to do and the being never came. Be honest, if you were told by, you know, Jewish educators to do, 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 and the bee never came. Come on, be honest. You're not being filmed. I'm the only one being filmed. Okay. So, several, several people raised their hands. So even in the Jewish world, like, doing doesn't always lead to being either. Should be a human doing or a human being? You're a human being. And so the, the West says to just do and do and do and do. They can put on your tombstone at the end of your life, done. <laughs> you know, and, and all, that, all that doing out there, 
And that's called the hands of Asaph. The hands of Asaph is hands always in literature and in Judaism. It always represents industriousness. Go do. Do, 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 do. Until there's do-do everywhere. And meanwhile, there's, there's, people are getting crushed in the process because, because being married to a doer, as, in, as opposed to being married to a beer, is, that's no fun. You want to sit across the candlelight of, of a doer who, who wouldn't even know how to just be? And what happens is this, is this is the, one of the main sources of what, why we're crushed why we got crushed in the first place. One of the main ways we got crushed was that our spirit got crushed. Because think about it. If doing leads to being, where am I getting the energy to do? Does it take a lot of energy to keep doing and doing and doing in your life? A lot of energy? And where's it coming from? What's, where's that come from? Where are you going to get all that energy? Where are you going to get that? So the answer is, all the doing is actually coming from It's all coming from low self-image. And that I've been told that somehow if I can take that if I can take that low self-image and show everyone how well I do things, how many of us have known people who got like really good at stuff <coughs> to the point where everyone like knows them for that, meaning that's who they have become, that's who they are is the doing. They never become the being. Because what's driving them the whole time? A low self-image, which is a, just a negative form of being. <coughs> That's a negative form of being, leading to more doing. And so that, that's never going to work. It's going to be a vicious cycle, because what happens the second they stop doing? Where, where are they? They're back over here, in the negative sense of doing. Okay, this is the hijack... How do you spell hijack? Hijack. Yeah. <laughs> is there a G-H in hijack? Is that right? Yeah. Hijack. Yeah. <laughs> hijack. So, so this is the hijack self-image. So this is the low self-image or negative state of being. <laughs> then we do the doing, which is the hijacked self-image. That's Asaph. That's the hands of Asaph. That's that's the that's Asaph saying, "Yeah, that one's mine. That's my kid." But then there's the neshama, the soul being, which is no self-image. That's the beautiful child in you. That's the toddler. That gorgeous child inside of you, that energizer, that powerful, fearless, gorgeous nuclear power plant soul of yours. And so what happens is all of us have been hijacked by this Western version of self, all of us. I mean, there's very few people, maybe anyone, who can raise their hand in this room, myself included. 
Meaning I know this, my low self-image stuff, but I know there's more layers of my onion that I don't even see now. They're, they're my blind spot. I don't see them. So there's some level of me that's in bluff mode right now. I don't know what that is. Because I have the luxury of being someone who runs programs in working on this stuff. So I get to work on it the most. But I know I'm bluffing because everyone I've ever met is bluffing. So I know I'm for sure bluffing. And I'm even worse bluffer than you are because you would be very easy to figure out what you're saying to yourself about yourself and covering it up with some hijacked self-image. But what, what happens in the end is that the soul doesn't come in. Crushed people have, have hit this kind of rock-bottom place where they're able to shine this light because, because they realize, like, like this Rebbitson in the back said, that they realize when they've, when they've really been crushed to the bottom that all there is is God to hold on to. And then God can now ignite their flame of their souls. But we don't have to go there. I'm the bubble wrap version. I didn't get crushed. I was totally bubble wrapped growing up. There was no abuse. There was no weirdos. There was no. I think the closest pedophile was 12 zip codes away from where I grew up. It was just a different time, a different era, and an extremely wealthy and safe community where I grew up in. I didn't get to get crushed, but but I. It doesn't matter. I, I just got crushed by stupid stuff. That was enough for me to have that low self-image, and then to become the, you know, the surfer, mountain biking, guitar playing guy, you know, who my wife married. <laughs> Poor thing. You know, and she she thought that would be cool. You know. But, you know, it all leaked out, you know, it all leaked out. And thank God, and that's why marriage is so important, because I, I would still be playing that game for sure. If I never got married, I had the whole world fooled for decades, you know, in my, my big game I was playing. And only being married, like, put me through the crucible of, having to get real with the fact that, it, that this was a garbage situation. And what was waiting in the end was once that got crushed, all that was left was the soul self-image, is the, the true being. And ever since then, I've been giving. Now, here's the question. If you're being from here, so what are you up to? What's everyone up to? Everyone's up to doing, but what kind of doing? Clean doing. And it's a kind of doing that's where you're involved in giving. I mean, think about it. If my crushed self-image, and I was doing a, a concert, yeah? So I'm playing a concert. Tell me, from a crushed self-image, playing a rock concert as the lead singer and lead guitarist, <laughs> am I giving a concert or am I taking taking and haven't we all felt that way at a concert and I was also as a rabbi my wife married a rabbi I was a rabbi for seven years before I finally got crushed and do you think I gave classes or I took classes I took classes I mean I'd go in there and wow everybody and leave that class feeling like gee I must be something special 
Now, how much of a Torah class do you get when the teacher's taking? Zero. Well, I don't know, zero, but something. And how much of a concert, how much exchange is there between a band and the audience when the band's just like really, they're just, they're just like emaciated Ethiopians, you know, even though they look like Hollywood stars, but I mean, why not just see them as emaciated Ethiopians with distended bellies, swollen skulls, and toothpick arms and flies everywhere? Because that's the way they feel inside. But maybe if you cheer loud enough, it'll put some meat on their bones. And so you just spend your life having to do from nothing, from scrap without the S. You know what scrap without an S is? Yeah? Well, that doesn't give you a lot of clean, doesn't give you a lot of clean energy. And so here you got to put out all this effort, but it doesn't it get exhausting? How exhausted are people all the time? Whereas when someone gets to soul into their true state of being, which is the soul, and then their doings coming out clean, and it's really just a, you're a you're a contribution to the world. Well, what is the source of your soul? So the source of the soul is really Hashem. Hashem is the source of all this. And therefore, you're always energized and you're doing just like the beautiful child in you. Like that original energized child is full of energy, is full of power. You never get tired. You're just giving. You can just give and give and give and give. And you always have more energy just like that little child. You do pass out. I pass out a lot. You, you do pass out, meaning eventually you do pass out, but you, you don't really go to sleep anymore. You just pass out from, you know, eventual exhaustion, but, but it's real exhaustion. It's not emotional exhaustion. A lot of us go to sleep at night exhausted emotionally from having to play this game. And then Hashem's, Hashem's your koach, Hashem's your light. And then you shine. And you shine this magnetic, infectious light to the world. A light that just shines and shines and shines because you have an endless amount of fuel because your fuel comes from an infinite source. I bless you all with an amazing, amazing Hanukkah with a, with a life that is... That is generating from the real place inside of you that's eternal which is the soul bless you with with a life of contribution that the things you wind up doing with your life are are a contribution to the planet i bless you with an infectious magnetic glow about you that causes everyone to feel at peace and at one with themselves and you and I bless you with, with, uh, with, with just love and light and uh, all the brachas that Hashem has in store for you and everyone who ever is in contact with you. Amen. 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 You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.